Hello, and welcome to Unsheathed with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs. Hi, welcome to Unsheathed number 18. We're doing this live from our fall furry meet. Yes. Or FFM for the uninitiated. Which is taking place somewhere in the central United States in an undisclosed location. Yes, yeah, it's not in a mountain bunker. We're actually in a grain silo. Yes, indeed. And we're doing this in front of a fairly lively audience. Um, <laughs> you can make noise. Woo! <laughs> 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 and... Uh, We've been having a lot of fun tonight with this. We have. It's been a lot of fun leading up to it, and I think the fun's going to continue. It is. Uh, so we've got here, what, do we want to say anything else before we go on? I forgot now. Um, you know, just sort of that uh, so far the the fall furry meat has been a, a good time. It's been... A rousing success. There's yeah. wine and Coke Zero and cookies, so... Yeah, um, one of uh, my friends actually just before the recording plied me with a... Uh, 1991 Taylor Flatgate port from Portugal that was really, well, really nice. You don't have to be coy because they told us we had to mention them anyway. Did they? Yeah. Oh. So we, we can... I was too busy drinking in a care. We, we can reveal that it was the talented and wonderful artist Blotch, who are also a liquor appreciation society, um, who plied us with the aforementioned port. But it was, I believe it was Koya who, had, who actually provided it, though. Right, but it was Blotch who invited us. Okay, that's true. So we should thank them both. So they shared it. He brought it, but they shared it. Okay. And both our Tech Savvy Wolf and our Smut Right Not are both uh, gave it big thumbs up. Or pause up, or whatever it is. Pause down, thumbs <laughs> up, I don't know. Um, so anyway, we have, besides our lively audience, we have here a special guest, the editor of the esteemed magazine Heat from Soulful Press. Hello, everyone. This is Alapex. He is, uh, he's been kind enough to get into bed with Unsheathed. <laughs> there are fursuits involved, too. And, and there, there are. There were, there were fursuits involved. That and was an audience. The necessary uh, <laughs> requirement. But we would expect no less. So welcome, and thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Um, we thought we would let you talk a little bit about heat and kind of how it came to be and what sort of stories you're looking for and uh, just ask you some questions about it and see what you want to say. Cool. So you want to start with the, the history of heat? All right. How did heat come about? Heat came about because, well, Sofwolf started out relatively small with this little uh, literary anthology magazine called Anthrelations. And we had, of course, a bunch of great writing in it, but it had a limited audience. It was PG-13, I believe, at maximum. And there were some great writers in the fandom, one of whom is interviewing me at the moment, who wrote some really good stuff that didn't really fit into Anthrelations. And so we decided that, well, we needed to do an adult-themed um, anthology of writing, and he kind of evolved from that. And... We decided to try to make it a little bit more edgy and modern in terms of design and layout. So we brought in poetry and comics and art and doing things a bit more dynamic than you would in a standard uh, literary anthology. And, and, and uh, who, who actually does the layout for Heat now? That would be me. 
So all of that design stuff, what kind of design stuff do you do with it? it it's kind of an evolving process because we go out, well, we first se select the stories that are going to hear in, appear in heat, and then we try to find artists who we think their art style would work really well with the stories, and we commission them to do art and give some direction for the artist to do creative things, um, things as opposed to just having a half-page picture that goes facing the text. We try to make the text and the art interact with each other in various ways. And part of the creative bit that I get to do with each issue of Heat is say, okay, I got this art from this artist, and what can I do with it to make it more interesting on the page? So we do various things with wrapping text around, pulling out quotes interestingly with the art, and um, having watermark-type images behind the text. Um, we are limited with black and white at the moment. We've talked about doing a color issue at some point, but um, it's just the economics of printing color still make it hard to do full color with what we do. Yeah, unless you're, unless you're blotch and you're doing a full-page comic that's already gathered a following online. Yes, yes. And that's twice we've mentioned Blotch now in the podcast, so they should be happy. They should be giving us some, some advertising fees, I think. <laughs> um, I was going to say, if we want to continue to drive that up, I was just going to mention uh, when he was just talking about you know taking you know images and doing creative things, I really think that he did a great job uh, for the title page for My Story in Heat 5 with Black Tegan's art with all the, the silhouettes and sort of like wrapping the words into that. If anyone has seen that, I, always, I thought that came out really well. Yeah, and I think one of the underrated aspects of Heat is that design, how it looks, it's really strikingly different from any other furry publication that I know of out there, that most of them are very content to have the text on one side and then pictures going along with it here and there, and you've really done a job of trying to integrate it and make it look more modern, more edgy, uh, really trying to do creative things with the art, which is, uh, which is really great. Thank you. That's the goal. So I'm glad it comes off that way. Yeah, I mean, there's so, there's such a visual influence and you know visual fixation with the fandom anyway that, especially when it comes to artwork, that I think that that sort of synthesis when you're dealing with you know a, a literary publication actually there's sort of a natural fit for that. And now you've talked about maybe doing a color issue. Is there anything else you're thinking about? Any other new places you're thinking of taking heat in the future? Um, the thing that we're working on most with this issue is getting it done sooner. <laughs> <laughs> because that way one of the problems that I have is that as we get closer and closer to the deadline we always come out at Anthrocon so you know backdating from that the time it has to do to do the printing and get the proofs and the approvals and the changes and all that um, by the time I get the art there's not a lot of time for me to actually do the creative layout stuff and so I often feel that I'm you know I could have done something even better if I had more time so we we're trying to improve a lot of the process right now of getting things done earlier so that I don't spend all of springtime, you know, doing layouts when I could be out doing gardening or something like that. <laughs> you can't and, neglect the garden. Yeah, I mean my fox Brer, who's the other half of Soap Wolf, um and who I live with and enjoy his cooking thereof. Um his <laughs> I, I enjoy his cooking. Alapex has also had some of the port we should yes. bring about here and is currently um, sharing some of Hirosaki's wine. Yes, He's, which was uh, given uh, to me by our listeners, uh, Chacal and Gerald, and they brought us a uh, 2005 Syrah. And, uh, Thank you. It's very good. So so anyhow, Brer is off and off like doing the yard work and planting things in the summer while I'm sitting at the computer doing heat. And so with the last couple issues, we've gotten... 
more formalized in terms of the art contracts. We set deadlines and set the contracts beforehand as opposed to in the early days we would you know, have email and sort of gentlemen's agreements about what's going to be paid and when things are going to be done. And, oh, yeah, we've, we're printing this book, so maybe we should get contracts signed from all the artists to allow us to use their art in this publication. Right. Now we're actually doing that before we print the stuff, which is good. <laughs> and now we're moving to try to make the writing side a bit more professional and having contracts ahead of time. So just keep the process moving along and keeping people on deadlines so that we don't have that crunch time at the very end. Yeah, and that's important. I mean, any kind of publication like that, the smoother you can make everything run, the better it comes out in the end. Yeah. And as and as a writer, I'd say that the two things that inspire me most are furry cons and deadlines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree with that. <laughs> and it, it is, you know, compared to some of the other things that we do for at, at Sofawolf, you know, novels, you have one writer and one artist, you know, maybe two if you get somebody else to do the the cover. But with Heat, you know, we have four different story authors, um, two or three different poetry artists or poetry authors, poets, I guess is the word. (laughs) Um, And then two or three comics and then illustrators. And it um, it's really a a big project to keep organized. And so it's it's a lot more work simply keeping up with the emails. And um, so we're trying to streamline that as much as possible. Yeah, and I know when I was editing the Anthology X last year, um, or was it earlier this year? Oh, God, it was uh, you, this year. You started it last year, though. Yeah. but I know I had my story done we last had, year. We had a lot of the same issues with ten authors and eight, nine artists. and You have all yeah. these spreadsheets and... Yes, and contact search. forms, and one of the artists sort of dropped off the face of the earth, and yes. yeah, it always happens. Um, we, one of our, our technological advances in the last year is we've started doing e-signing of contracts. We don't no longer have the delay of mailing things around to get signed and come back, and that's worked brilliantly. It works cool. really well. Um, one of the things you mentioned was comics, and I know comics are much more labor-intensive than... It's it's kind of like all the work of writing plus all the work of drawing multiplied. Yes. So it's much harder to get a three-page comic than it is to get a three-page short story with illustrations. Um, you know, how do you how do you find new comics out there? How do you have artists that have the time to create a comic for Heat? The comics are a little bit different with than the stories, where we take formal submissions with stories and then we review them all and select the ones that we printed in that issue. With comics, it's more of a it's hard to have somebody do a comic and submit it and then tell them, no, sorry, you put all that effort into it, but we just can't do anything with it. So it, it's more of an a invite basis. So right. I keep my eye on the various art repositories online for Affinity being the main one. Mm-hmm. And if I see somebody doing work, especially if they do comic work that shows that they have the capability of doing both story and art, um, I'll ping them and say, hey, you know, you want to do something? We're looking for a shorter comic, which is usually six to eight pages. And we'll do longer comics, which are maybe a dozen to 20 pages long. And... Often people are very happy to do that, um, even on short notice, because it does give them exposure. It gives them right. a chance to be in print and you know, kind of a something they can put on their resume. Maybe not something they'd show to their art teachers, per <laughs> se, but um, there is a certain, you know, it's passing a certain level when you can say that you've been published. Yeah, and I, actually I've been corresponding with a writer friend of mine who's published a couple adult novels, and... He was trying to get into a creative writing program, and he wasn't sure whether to 
mention the novels to his the, the uh, professors or not, and they basically said, you know, that's cool. You've been published. We know there's adult literature out there. It doesn't really matter, you know, whatever it is. You've been published, and that's cool. So um, it's neat from that perspective, and I think it's becoming something that you can show off in certain places, like maybe not if you're going to University of Tennessee, but <laughs> if you're going to enroll at Berkeley, I'm sure they'd be happy to, you know, look at your adult comic. Especially Does Berkeley have an art school? I believe they do, don't they? Oh, maybe. And Cal Arts, at least. Oh, that's true, too. So, you know, Berkeley takes freaks of all shapes and sizes. So yes, I think that, very true. You know, animals, people, sex is the least weird thing they've seen. <laughs> as long as it's liberal animal people sex. That's and not true. like Republican animal people sex. As it is, like, whenever I go to Berkeley, I feel like I need my passport on me. But <laughs> it's like I'm in a different country. It's like, where am I? Um... So I guess as sort of a service to yourself and to the listeners here, is there anything that you would like to tell people who are intended to submit a story to Heat, like things that they should not submit or things they should take care to do before they prepare their submission? Well, the most obvious thing is to please read the guidelines before you submit. Um, that'll really help you go a, a long way. Um, they're not terribly hard to find, not terribly easy to find, but on the website, www.sofwolf.com, um, there's a link to submissions, and whenever we're, there's a call-out for something like Heat, we'll put up the guidelines, and um, you know, we publish anthropomorphic fiction, but specifically animal anthropomorphic fiction, and we do make sure to, that it says that now, though people sometimes forget. Um, probably one of our, fav- our favorite submissions for the latest round of, of Heat was... Uh, anthropomorphic plant sex which <laughs> along with like world domination and other things going on and so that was you know if if somebody has really good anthropomorphic non-animal stuff we might consider if it's like totally brilliant and we just have to use it but most cases you're probably not going to do well unless you have anthropomorphic animals in it um, okay that sounds fair enough I think most everybody listening to this podcast would not really write anything else but unless the the plants are having sex with animals ooh which tentacle sex has already been brought up once tonight yeah um depending on how much we drink it might happen more um (laughs) does anybody in our audience have a question for our editor of heat how do we we give a microphone over there we could just repeat the questions uh my apologies uh the question is actually more for one of sofwolf.com uh, if you don't mind, um, what sort of things do you take in mind um, before you publish a novel or a short story from someone? What sort of things do we take in mind? Um, you can talk from a short story perspective, I guess. And... Well, first of all, you know we we invest a lot of money in every product we do. So the main question is: Is this something that we think enough other people want to read that will sell enough books to you know make it? make the money back on the printing and all the time that we put into it. Um, beyond that, it's um, hard to say. Um, we don't do an awful lot of novels per year just because we're all, you know, we do this on a volunteer basis. Nobody's working full time. And, you know, I'm working pretty heavily with both Heat and with the, the press website and other things that I do to help uh, Brer along. 
So I actually haven't been as involved in the novels lately. I used to do a lot more proofreading once the selection part had been already done. So um, we already have about a year and a half, you know, kind of timeline already set up for any new projects coming in. So people have to be willing to wait for their stuff to appear for a while. Um, and there are other, you know, good places for people to get their novels published out there. So they may decide that they'll go to Fur Planet if they want to uh, get something published, if they don't want to, don't mind the wait, um, or they don't want to wait for us to get around to them. And uh, so, yeah, no, I was, I was going to mention Fur Planet as well. Um, I know that the queue for novels is pretty short. Um, every year there's a limited amount of space, and mm-hmm. I'm kind of a space hog when it comes to that, but I try to do as much of the work myself as I can. You um, write freakishly fast, and I don't know how you do it. <laughs> and the other thing, to Kyle's credit, is he's a great self-marketer, which helps You know, if, if we know that somebody is going to be out there and pushing their stuff and getting it out so the people see it and then come back to our website or come to our table at cons mm-hmm. and buying it. You know that that's really a plus, and we—that's one of the things that we factor in when we look at uh, submissions that come our way, yeah. especially for things like novels. And and we we are hoping to talk to um, more of the SoFWolf people at Further Confusion, so that's a good where question. Where they are guests of honor. honor. Where the SoFWolf team is guests of honor. Actually. And I don't know if you've mentioned this on your podcast before, but it'll be our tenth year anniversary at Further Confusion this this coming December tenth. <laughs> That's, I, it, that's it? just that's amazing. As you know, as someone who's been around the furry landscape longer than I care to admit, um, I've seen publications and presses come and go. I've seen probably more than I can count on both hands of fingers of publications that were going to be the next big anthology magazine, the next big furry publication. Um, God, there was a there was something about tapestries. It was a spiral bound thing. There was the American Journal of Anthropomorphics. Um, Yarf just yeah. kind of stopped publishing. Um, Renard's Menagerie. Renard's Menagerie, which we talked about at Rain First, because yeah. Fox Cutter was actually there. Yeah. Um, and uh, just, it, you know, to have something last 10 years is a real testament to you guys and the work that you do. And um, So, congratulations. Thank you, everyone. And it's, one of the nice things is, since we're not trying to make a living at this, we can grow the business slowly and it is you know steadily growing but it's not you know we didn't say we have to be profitable within you know the first five years otherwise we're going to go broke it's you know we um actually Brer put a lot of his own personal money into it in order to pay for the initial print runs and you know now we're actually paying for things that we print which is great um but um you know, we, we hope to keep on growing and keep on improving and offering new things and doing a lot of fun stuff. Um, maybe one of these years, one of us will get to do this full time and quit our day jobs, but uh, <laughs> but then not there'll be a fight soon. over which one. <laughs> yes, that that will be. It'll be a tough decision. The, the gardening might be a you know good good case to make. Yeah, uh, probably go. the question will be more uh, which of us has the better health plan, and <laughs> unless like gay marriage and uh, you know. Um, the ability to share your health plan with uh, a, a same-sex couple uh, comes to be. Well, but, you're just a hop and a skip from Iowa. Yeah, but your your uh, health benefits are taxed differently if you're a gay couple than if you're a straight couple. Oh, well, we're not going to get into the politics on yes. this thing, I don't think. Yeah. Um, anyone else have a question specifically for Alapex? 
What was the most surprising thing that's ever been submitted to Heat? Most surprising. Well, that the plant world domination piece was quite surprising and sticks <laughs> into memory. Um, I, my, my memory can't go beyond that at the moment, so I guess that'll be my answer. <laughs> that, that, that might be the winner. And really, like, I, I think just from the description I've heard, that I think that's win-worthy. Yeah, I think so. I think it would be hard to top that one. Uh, anyone else? Right. Alpec, do you want to, any last words about Heat for all the people out there listening? Keep sending in the submissions. Um, one thing I did want to add to what you were asking earlier about um, recommendations for stories to submit to Heat is that um, even though Heat is a magazine of adult content, we really want to emphasize story as the main criteria for Heat. So every story has to have sex or romance or erotica as some important element of the plot, but that shouldn't be the whole reason for being. So every story should have good character development. It should have some sort of plot to which the sexual encounter that's probably going to be part of the story is included, but we really do want something that's more than just an elaborate sex scene with some sort of pretense for it happening wrapped around it. And we try to state that to the best of our abilities on the website, and we still get a lot of submissions that, you know, I would say fit that category. So, you know, really focus on story. And one thing that I found myself telling people a lot is if you have your little group of friends that all share the same, you know, sexual fantasies or, or um, predilections, and they all really like your story, it's a good idea to send that story to somebody else that doesn't share your fantasies or your particular point of view. Because if they still find the story interesting, even though they may not, you know, they may just skim the sex part, then that's a really good candidate for heat. And that's the type of thing that we would look for. Because heat is sexual orientations of all sorts. And so we don't expect that our readers will all like male, 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 female, female, female stories. But if they can get interested in the stuff that's going on around the story, then that's great. That's really what we strive for. And, and I would say don't be afraid to post it somewhere like F.A. And people always kind of say, well, I don't want to post it on F.A. because I don't get any real feedback there. Or, you know, I just get people writing, I came. Or um, that's hot. Or I wish I was that fox. Um, Murr. Murr. Yeah. But, you know, honestly, if you post something on F.A. and say, you can tell a lot from the comments, even if the people aren't specifically trying to critique the story. Like, if you get people recommending the story to their friends, that's a pretty good sign that you've got a good story. If you get people being really enthusiastic about it, even if they don't explain why, that's a good sign. And you can always ask for critique, too, and say, I'm really interested in whether you find the story interesting or not. Um, but FA is probably one of the best places I know of to do that. And do you know of any? Um, as far as internet communities, no, I would say just sort of, you know, keep your, uh, I think that the advice he had there about just trying to send it to other people that you know, you know, who are willing to read. Right. And it's good to know who Which among your tough. friends is a good reader and who among your friends is good at. Gerald, please keep your pants on. <laughs> Thought derailed. <laughs> Rebooting. What, what's, what's the point of having a live audience if you can't? you know, interact with them a little bit. But my wine is empty. Oh, that needs to be fixed. Wine bitch. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we have a surrogate wine bitch now. We have two wine bitches at this podcast. That's like 
two more than we normally yeah, have. Yeah, so like one of the, one of them let me drink his Oh, wait, hold on. We have the tech oh, the savvy sound, wolf needs the some. The sound too. man needs oh. some wine. So what, one of them let me drink his wine. The other one actually mixed me some fantastic uh drink with a uh, Bacardi Limon mango juice and uh soda water, I believe, were the ingredients. I don't know what it's called, but it was good. Yeah. All right. Now I've moved on to a vintage. Um, and I, I did want to sort of add one last note and let you talk about it because I did a post about this on the journal recently. Um, there's – you talk about getting submissions that aren't really a good fit for heat. There's a lot of reasons that you'll reject a submission other than just we didn't think it was that good a story, right? Sure. Yes. So – like. Um. One of the things that um, people should keep in mind, well, first of all, you know, we'll take usually about four stories per issue. We do one issue per year, and we'll get two or three dozen submissions. So the chances are really good that you'll be, you know, you won't be accepted for a particular issue of heat. And I'll just so point don't, out t- don't take it too personally if you're rejected. And I'll just point out that's actually probably a better ratio than a lot of magazines, which mm-hmm. get, you know, tons and tons of submissions. But it's still... You know, a four-to-one shot just going in. Right. And because we try to balance out each issue with, you know, some hetero stuff, some gay stuff, um, we may end up rejecting a good story because it was good, but we had a couple others that were really good that were of a similar orientation. In order to keep the issue balanced, you know, we try to pull the best of a variety of different orientations. Or... You know, we may actually have two stories that are very similar in flavor or theme, and, you know, we'll just have to choose one over the other. And that doesn't mean the other story is bad. It's just that, you know, the one seems to fit the the issue as a whole. And we really try to look at each issue of Heat as a collection, as a whole. So we get some stuff that's more gritty urban, some stuff that's more fantasy, and try to blend it all so it's not all one flavor or one theme for a particular issue. Yeah, and what I what I was trying to communicate to people was because Heat is kind of the the main um publication in the furry fandom for erotica, and because a lot of these people out here writing erotica for the first time trying to get it published will send it to Heat, they kind of take the rejection as, well, this is my first time and I got rejected, so I'm no good. And you can't have that attitude. You have to say, All right, I got rejected but it might still be a good story. I got to make it better. I got to keep working. Got to keep improving, and I've got to make it so good that they can't turn it down next time. Yes, and that's you know getting one rejection. Don't let it discourage you because if you let it discourage you, then you're not going to write anymore. Hey, I was I was rejected from Heat once. I've been rejected twice. Yeah, there you go. See? And then you turned one of them into one of our best-selling novels. Novels. <laughs> 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 yep. And uh, and we'll see what happens with the other one. <laughs> um, but uh, well, if you don't have anything else, then thank you so much for joining us. I, I got We're... one thing to add real quick oh, yeah. on the Go heat ahead. front. Uh, the bit of the, uh, the the animal magnetism segment at the end, which is always one of the things I look forward to whenever I pick up a new issue. And uh, I just think that that sort of stands as a good testament that the combination of animals and sexuality. Really does really does just synergize well on just a fundamental level, and I think that sort of proves that. And since we don't really say much formally about that, I'll I'll just mention that um, that is truly just a combination of the the animal poetry, the doggy poetry, and the erotica poetry. We didn't 
you know, the the Fax Feathers furry erotic poetry, which you can now buy at conventions that Fox Feather goes to, um, didn't even exist when we started. So um, not to cut her down or anything, but it is just that... Um, she stole was, your idea. Well, she did. She stole the, the idea. <laughs> but we really just thought, hey, what if we put these together and have some fun with it? And it it actually is our refrigerator, if you ever wanted to, to know. It, we've gone through three different refrigerators now. One was white, one was black, and now we're at gray. And, so uh, if you visit the Sofa Wolf World Headquarters in uh, uh, Eden Prairie? Um, no, I'm sorry. Mendota Heights. Men- Mendota Heights, Minnesota. You will see the original animal magnetism refrigerator. And you might be asked to contribute. And one day it may be in the Smithsonian. <laughs> That's a wonderful thought, actually. <laughs> I can't think of a better adjective than wonderful. I, I won't say which museum of the Smithsonian, <laughs> but... Uh, They'll open a new wing of original American perversions. If we can sneak it into the um, the Julia Child display, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say like I just picture right next to like you know like the original speeder bike from Return of the Jedi that they have in the <laughs> Museum of uh, you know American something or other. I was thinking more lines along the lines of Archie Bunker's chair. <laughs> nice, and Judy Garland's ruby slippers. Um. All right, well, thank you once again for joining us. We really appreciated it. I think it was a good talk. Well, thank you um, for having me. I had fun. We're going we're gonna to take a little five-minute break here for the uh, Tech Savvy Wolf to adjust his knobs. and uh, we will, In front of everyone. And then we will, we will come back with a few audience questions. So th- let's have a little hand appreciation for all of us. And we will be right back. All right, and we're back from our break. Uh. <laughs> and Kim uh, yes. Hirosaki has had a little bit too much wine. I no, think. I have not had too much wine. I'm, I'm just... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> wow. We, no. we, we've achieved broken all, honor. All, I was thinking about all the conversations we were having earlier tonight about how easily broken I am sometimes, and I just sort of, like, okay, like, say something so that you don't appear broken, and I just sort of froze like a like a deer in headlights. So. <laughs> <laughs> now you're doing it on purpose. <laughs> I am, but. All right, so we're going to take a few questions from our live audience here, our guest has kindly consented to hold the microphone for them, so let's uh, start off with the first one. And we're starting off with... This is Tempo. And this is his first furry con. Ooh. Actually, this is my first con of any kind, so... This is actually, actually I, I believe technically this is his second furry con, because this here is a fall furry meet, and I believe he was at another convention earlier today. Oh, that's absolutely true. Yeah. You poor, poor bastard. <laughs> so, well... Uh, I'm slowly catching up on the unsheathed. I'm about 50% through. The One of the ones I recently listened to it was, you guys were talking about not using fandom words in mm-hmm. fiction. Mm-hmm. But I have to admit, I read Out of Position and I was drawing little boxes around a couple of words mm-hmm. because there was some scritching involved. And there were some cheek roughs and such. And I was wondering if that was simply like a 
You shouldn't use it because then you will use it as a crutch and you'll end up sounding like you are on MSN. Or if that is like, you should just kind of use it and then you you can work back into working some in or what the philosophy was there. Well, First of all, I do my TSing over Yahoo. Uh, ah. but, uh, <laughs> um, I will say that Scritch has a long and storied history going back to Peanuts. Oh. And so it is not a fandom word. It actually was originated at least... Uh, as far back as Charles Schultz. Wow. Um, so that's where I got it from. This um, is erotica and etymology at the same time. Well, we don't fool around here. This is. As far as terminology okay, is, we actually, do, but not yeah. about what. Well, no, but <laughs> I, I, makes I, it nonetheless a literary wet dream. It's fine. Don't worry. <laughs> I was thinking the other day about people talking about uh, writing styles and about being able to tell if uh, I wrote something or if Kyle wrote something in. As a writer, I can tell that our writing styles actually aren't that similar. And yeah. I think that, you know, if, but that might be a, a bit literary for a lot of people to get. But the one thing that a, a dead giveaway is that Kyle uses the word tailhole and I don't. If you look at my stories, you will not find that. You will find tailholes, just not called that. Yeah. No, I'm just going to say the, 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 word, the word will, yes. will let I you believe know. the characters find them occasionally, too. Well, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> although lately, not as often as they should. Yeah, I know. Well, I, you got to fix that. I know. I have just, my characters keep on not having sex. I don't know what's wrong. They're they're frigid. Um, so, to go back to go back to your comments, um, I think by fandom words we were specifically talking about words that would not have any meaning to someone who's not been exposed to the fandom. I think most people would know what a cheek rough is. Um, most people would be able to figure out what a scritch is, or or a tail hole, or a tail hole. Um, what were some of the words we were? Well, list you know, the, the, the list of seven words you cannot use in your fiction. Yif is the big one. Okay. Um, yif has no meaning to anyone outside mm-hmm. the fandom, yeah, or who's like not football. watched CSI, yeah. or like like footpaw and stuff like that. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. not footpaw's borderline, but footpaw is a kind of a borderline. It's just awkward. It's not really yeah. like a fandom word. It, it, it's um, fandomy. God, what are some of the other fandom words? Um. Foxhood. Oh, that, these are the ones. Well, Foxhood. Yeah, I've used that in the past. I don't really use it much anymore. But things like Farend and Furson and personality, personality. Right. <laughs> I thought I thought that was persecution. Is that persecuting people? We, we actually we actually have the, an authority here right. on that. What? Is it persecution or mersecution? Mer is the new yif. Mer is the new yif. Okay. Um, so I think mostly that's what we were talking about. Mer is kind of a borderline as well. I I wouldn't, I wouldn't use, use it. Mer. I wouldn't use it. But uh. this is just this is this just in. I'm supposed to read this note that says puppy maker. Oh <laughs> yes, pu- puppy maker is another one that. Uh... Although what I what I heard recently is that um, in non furry erotica, people use baby, baby maker. maker. I'm and so glad I don't read non-furry erotica now. I know, seriously. This gets back to our whole, like, furry is a fetish thing, because I really have very little interest in non-furry erotica. Or in making babies. Right. Uh, it's anyway. okay. Your literature is your baby. There you go. That's so. right. Um, Lord, knows I, keep, Lord knows I keep on trying to get knocked up, but it's just not taken. <laughs> <laughs> Don't stop trying. <laughs> Believe me, I won't. Uh, so does that answer your question? 
Are we good? Yeah, I think that actually answers things. Awesome. Do we have another one? Woohoo. We have people leaping for the microphone. Uh, you mentioned that, well, as you just said, your characters are... Introduce, ca- introduce yourself, so oh, don't sorry, be a this, stranger. This is Chacal Draconis. I just want to say th- thank you for your, your mate finally putting his pants back on. <laughs> it was a shame to everyone else in the room, but... Uh, as you mentioned, your, uh, your stories are uh, kind of like, uh, like your children, and I think you've mentioned before, you know... You can't really choose your, you know, favorite child. You know, it's hard to pick your favorite story. Well, you can. Uh, you just don't tell them. Yeah. Um, I can certainly pick which ones I want to kick out of the house. That was actually go- going, to be, going to be my uh, my question. Among your stories and your characters, which are the ones that you absolutely uh, that people know about? Uh, you know, obviously the ones that never leave the desk drawer. You know, that j- just get shunned by the world. But of the ones that are out there which are the ones that you hate you wish you never wrote you you know the characters that refuse to do what they're supposed to do um i don't think i have any stories that i wish i never wrote i think that the writing of them was a valuable experience but ones that i don't take down just because they're not terrible but if somebody ever tried to use it as representative of my work I had this one old, old story called Dance Floor Encounter, which I'm really not wild about, which I specifically wrote as an attempt to... This was when I had first started writing Furry Erotica, and I thought, I wonder if I could write an erotic story about a fetish I don't have. And the answer is yes, but that story wasn't it. (laughs) (laughs) What Um, was it? uh, It's about um, for tourism and public sex on a dance floor and it, it's just it it doesn't hold up well Dude, what, what alapex was saying about making sure that the the story has a plot in addition to the sex that goes with it yeah it didn't re- it didn't really have a plot to go with it and since i wasn't really into the sex that wasn't really all that hot either so the end result is just sort of like it's you know like as as might have happened to some of you listeners out there is that one like sexual encounter that was more awkward than fun and just nobody ever mentioned it again and that's just sort of where you have to leave it oh yeah memories um i don't i don't know that i really have one that i'm that i've shown anyone that i wish i hadn't written um like hirosaki if if the story's not working i just stop writing it um and i never feel like it's a waste of time because you always learn something uh of the stories i've were put out there or posted and again probably it was one of the ones I wrote like three years ago in response to the three years four years five years now in it's response about, to that it's challenge about four and five years ago yeah because it was about oh four I think it was summer of oh four actually because Vol came out in oh five and it was before that yeah it was before Pendant had come out I know that much so um, it was probably one of those stories and I haven't thought about those in a long time um, there was one that I wrote that was that had some interesting ideas but it was way too long for the time I had to write it, so I made it too short, and it was incomplete, but it had some good stuff in it, and although I didn't like that story particularly, and I'm not sure if I posted it anywhere, except to the challenge. I may have read it. Uh, you might have. Uh, it was the one about the school and the football team and the sort of Lord of the Flies kind of society and the... So you said school Gordon and football school. team, and I was thinking out of position. But <laughs> no, the, well, it actually this this was sort of a proto 
it wasn't really a proto out of position, but it became it led to waterways because that's the one that the otter friend of mine read and then oh that one right recommended right. and then said oh you ought to write a story with a otter and a black fox. I was going to say I, I I it started sounding familiar and then I realized I was thinking of a story that's in a uh, Fang Volume One with the football team gangbang. Right. Well, and it was also here. it was also the story that I first sent in for Fang, and uh, the editor at the time uh, read it and said. You know, I really like a lot of what you're doing here, but the story doesn't seem complete. And I thought, well, you're right, it's not. <laughs> so then I sent him another one. But it was interesting that that story, which I'm not really proud of having written, led to both me being in Fang and corresponding with um, Alex Vance and led to Waterways. So, And I think that many, many, many of your fans are thankful that it led on to Waterways. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if that hadn't, it would have been something else, but... Yeah, so it's it's just interesting, and I guess it proves a point that no one was asking about, which is that there, no story is a waste of time and energy. Yeah. Practice makes perfect. Exactly. And writing anything is at least still practice. What about any of your characters? Uh, no, you know, I, I there's all of my characters are doing... If, they, if they're not doing what I wanted them to do in the story, they're doing what comes naturally to them. And I can't think of any offhand that I really disliked for for story reasons. Uh, there's characters that I certainly would not slow down if they were crossing the street in front of me. But, <laughs> um, but you know, that was their role in the story, and they were they were good villains for what they were. I wish that Gareth in Pressure had totally just power-bottomed Jez, just thrown him down to the bed and just rode him hard until he got off, because that would have been super hot. But, you know, he, he wasn't sexually assertive enough, and I think that was a shame. Shame on you, Mr. Slutty Coyote. Indeed. <laughs> I just had a relatively quick question for Kyle. And, and you are? Uh, my name is Confused O.O. Um, I've been read before, and Everybody always seems to wonder what to do with those O's on the end. Oh, oh. <laughs> Pretty much. See, see, we just say, oh, oh. Uh, but I did just have a, a relatively quick question. Is after doing X, is that something um, you will or would be doing again as to, to sort of bring together and edit an anthology again with uh, as much work as as it is from what i saw kyle go through i think the answer is not anytime soon <laughs> after doing x i kind of felt like why <laughs> uh, wow that, that was really clever on multiple <laughs> levels <laughs> <This pound. laughs> uh, well you know you guys get the full experience here on unsheathed um it was certainly an experience and ultimately looking back on it it was a really worthwhile one um, I certainly think the end product is worth being proud of. I, and, I, and I am proud of it, and I think everyone who was a part of it should be. Um, I'm not fixing to do another anthology anytime in the near future. I'm contributing to some. Uh, other people have been inspired by it and have decided to go on and plan their own. And um, I don't know if the one that I'm thinking of has been officially announced anywhere, so I'm not uh, going to say any more about it. But... Um, but, uh, you know, I wouldn't rule it out at some point in the future when I've forgotten what this whole experience was like and I get the crazy idea that I can actually get 
writers to produce on deadline, including me. It's like how like once a year, it's like I'll be like, oh man, KFC, that sounds good, and I forget how much I actually hate KFC, and I trick myself into no. thinking you're gonna like it. Long John like, Silver's, oh. that that's where it's at. Or, or like my <laughs> my favorite line from the blog about six eight months ago, where he said, you know, I always I always think s'mores s'mores are going to be great. And they're never as good as I think they're going to be. And I never remember that they're as good because I don't want to be like the guy from Memento and tattoo s'mores are disappointing <laughs> down my arm. <laughs> Which I thought was wonderful. And I had to steal that. Sad like John, John G. Gift and Scritch, my wife. <laughs> John G. Mersecuted me. <laughs> so... We will certainly let you know if any project like that is coming down the pike again, but uh, no plans for this year or next. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Uh, my name is Gerilyn Blackwell, the raccoon, currently pantsless in our indiscreet location. <laughs> and uh, as we all know, the other side of writing is Should have known the pants and wouldn't take. <laughs> As we all know, the other side of writing is editing, and I was wondering if you uh, had any tips on things to keep in mind while you're editing. Your entire story. <laughs> yeah. No, um, the big thing is be prepared to rewrite large portions of it. Do not be in love with any one part of what you've got. It, I'm, I'm actually going to contradict that slightly. Okay. Um, you can do that. Because the... The impetus for you to write a story is often there's a situation or a character or something that really caught your interest, and that's the part that made you want to write it down. And if you if the story takes shape such that you lose the interest in that part of it, you're going to lose the interest in the story. Um, and I've always, you know, people always say, be prepared to murder your darlings and take parts out of the story if they don't work for the story. But there's something about the story that is the core of why you wanted to write it. And if there's something that really you feel is the essence of the story, it's okay to be in love with that part of it, I think. Although it's worth pointing out that I've at least written short stories that I've started with a core central image where this is the image I had in mind when I thought of the story, this was the main image I had in mind when I wrote the story, and in the end, I ended up cutting that part of the story out because the idea had evolved into something new. Right. And, I mean, that's, that's fine, too. No, but I'm just saying the, the flip side of that, which I, I'll address real quickly, even though it's not super pertinent to your question, is a lot of people take murder your darlings to think if there's anything you're really in love with in the story, you have to cut it out. And that is absolutely not true. I thought murder your darlings meant kill off as many of your characters as possible. Have I been doing it wrong? <laughs> no, you've not been doing it wrong. You've been doing it oh so right. Hey. Uh, another good, my other big, big, big editing piece is, well, it's, it's twofold. You know, sort of 2A is have friends that you can send your stuff off to critique that you trust. And 2B is learn how to take constructive criticism. I think that is probably the biggest hurdle for an amateur writing to an amateur writer to get past is being able to take constructive criticism criticism objectively and then to act on it. 
it was really hard for me to get past. I remember. Oh yeah, it was hard for me. Too. I remember. I remember telling professors. I don't believe in second drafts because I said it the way I meant it the first time. <laughs> and I look back at myself. I want to punch my younger self for ever thinking that. And even if you have to do something like accept the criticism, make yourself just shut up, even though inside you're saying, <clears throat> you people are fools, you people don't understand my vision, you people are idiots, close it down, don't say anything, go away, go to sleep, think about it. And more often than not, you'll find that there's actually a lot of useful stuff to work with in that criticism. There was um, an old saying that said, you know, when one person says something bad about your work, he's a jerk. When two people say something bad about your work, they have something against you. When three people say something bad about your work, you should really consider whether or not they have a point. Yes. <clears throat> but if you have two people saying one thing and two people saying a different thing, then... What's those? Ty goes, Ty goes to the to author. The writer, yeah. Ty goes to the writer. Um, I will say, though, even though I said it sort of facetiously, I meant what I said about keeping your entire story in mind when you're doing the editing because what, you, what you're looking to do is to use a sort of sculpture analogy. You've gotten the rough shape out of the marble. You have to know what each piece of it is going to look like and chip away anything that doesn't fit that shape or conversely what sculptors can't really do you add in where it will improve that shape and when you're on revisions and redrafting that's the point where when you're going back through don't write for the scene don't write for the character write for the story because you've written it out now you know what the story is take the story keep it in mind and everything you write from that point on whether you take something out or add something new have the whole story in mind not just what it is that you're putting in <clears throat> yep, character arcs. Make sure that um, uh, one of our screenwriting professors said if there's a problem with your third act, the problem is you, you have to fix is in the first act. And, uh, and it applies to stories too. If you can't make the ending of the story work right, it's because you didn't set it up properly in the beginning. Yeah, I mean, there's been times where I've had many stories, especially early on, where it's like, well, I know the beginning, I know the middle, but then I don't know how it ends. And I kept thinking that. It's like, well, because I haven't set the story up right to have an ending properly. Right. And oftentimes when you start a story, you'll be thinking that it's going to go along one path, and as you write it, it'll go along another one. And the beginning is the one that I always end up going back and revising over and over and over and over again to make it fit what the new vision of the story is. And another thing that we learned is really the first draft or first slash second draft now is the process of discovering what the story is. And editing is the process of making sure the story fits what you now know it is. Yeah. Another helpful piece of advice, just sort of in general, is when you're redrafting and making edits, very often the earliest parts of your story can be cut entirely. You can read up the draft and sort of go, okay, where does the story actually start? Then, okay, cut what comes before that. Although I'm actually... that. I firmly believe in that and agree with you, but I've had people tell me about several different stories recently that they start very abruptly and that they want to have time to get to know the characters better. And I think that depends upon the length of the story. Yeah, probably. I mean, I think that abruptness is a, an effective tool. I, I mean, it gets you engaged. I mean, like the opening line for An Invisible Sign of My Own, which is, from my 20th birthday, I bought myself an axe. That's a great first line. Yeah. 
Um, I, I and, knew as soon, I didn't even own the book. I just heard somebody say that's the first line of the book, and I went out and bought it because I'm like, that's amazing. I need to know what the story after that is. And it's a great book. It is um, a great book. I can't remember her name now. Amy Bender. Amy Bender. That's right. A I M E E. Right. Um, the last thing I'm going to say about editing is know when to stop. Because that's hard to learn too. You can get trapped in this circle where you think, okay, you know, every time I go through it, I find a little thing I want to change, and a little thing I want to change, and a little thing I want to change. And you can get stuck in that loop forever. And you have to reach a point where you say, there's always going to be some little things that people are going to find wrong with it. There's going to be, in a, in a novel-length work, there's going to be typos. You could have 12 people look at it, and the 13th person will find a typo they all missed. Um, there's going to be plot inconsistencies. Uh, I've I believe in Out of Position, there's a character who's called by two different names. The two times he's called by name in the book, they're two different names. I missed that. But I think it's you need Mercedes to get... Lackey has an actual... No, she's not in my book. No, no, no. <laughs> I think, oh, and I was, she's a woman. I was going to say, I think that there's actually a published Mercedes Lackey novel where one of the characters actually shouts out, Oh, goddess, <laughs> instead of, Oh, goddess. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, and, um, if, and if that can get through Mercedes Lackey's editor, then, yeah. But, yeah, so that's, again, something like, as Hirosaki-san says, it takes judgment and practice, and you have to stop at some point. So, All right, well, in closing, I would just like to say thank you for answering my question. And just to let you know that for a majority of the writers out there who may not say anything, this podcast is actually a great inspiration to help keep us writing. So thank you very much for doing it. Oh, thank you. Thank you for saying so. Do we have any other questions out there? Ah. We have another famous podcaster in our midst. <laughs> Hello. This is Fuzzwolf. <laughs> Hi, Fuzzwolf. Hey, Fuzz. Hey. So... <laughs> Would you sign our not cast DVDs? <laughs> Would you sign Kyle's not? <laughs> hey, now. Just because you don't have one. I, I have not envy. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I'll you sign your doorknob. Like on the hotel. <laughs> Something for the maid. All right. I'll bust my doorknob off. <laughs> it's broken anyway. Just saw it. I'm taking it home. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> what I was, um, I know you, um, you both will like read each other's work and uh, probably help each other out on the editing process and, and everything. I was wondering if you guys had ever thought of maybe writing a story or a novel together, co-writing, collaborating, something like that. Yes, we have certainly thought of it. And will that happen anytime <laughs> soon? <laughs> we have certainly thought of it. And soon is such an ambiguous term. <laughs> the universe is full of possibilities. <laughs> between now and the eventual heat death of the universe, maybe. <laughs> but between now and the time we both are no longer writing anything, we intend to seriously consider beginning such a <laughs> discussion about that kind of potential project. There is, in fact, according to all laws of statistics, a non-zero chance of that happening. <laughs> Planning to plan. Yes. <laughs> it's like a riddle wrapped in an enigma, wrapped in a tortilla, or however the <laughs> saying goes. Wrapped in a sheath. <laughs> Thought process derailed yet again. That's like three times in this one podcast. I don't yeah, know if we should let you out in front of a live audience anymore. 
Well, no, Jeremy's the one taking his pants off, not me. <laughs> Repeatedly, apparently. <laughs> He's now making motions like he wants to stick a microphone in his mouth. I can't think what else he'd be trying to put He's in his saying, mouth. He's saying, hold, hold he, the he mic just, closer. He just had his question. I don't know what he could possibly need. Yeah, plus it looks like his mouth's full now, so. Uh, and on that note, I will hand the mic back to Aloe here. <laughs> Any other questions from out there? Oh. Again, uh, this will be, be our last question, so make it count. Uh, actually, that's rather appropriate. I think you guys may have mentioned on the show at uh, some point some of your uh, favorite opening lines from various novels. What are some of your favorite ending lines? Because I found quite often those leave such a major impression after you've gone through the story, that last final word. I don't remember it word for word, but the last line in David, David Mitchell's Cloud Atlas almost made me cry. I thought that the but whole... I, but, but we can't actually say it without kind of ruining the book. Ex- we? Well, that's true, too. And so I wouldn't do that, but just sort of the way it all comes together, really the whole last paragraph just sort of hit me like a punch in the chest. I was just like, wow, that was amazing. And, I, you know, I totally endorsed Cloud Atlas. The last line really did make, almost make me cry. Um, the ending of Black Swan Green, which is also by David Mitchell, is also amazing. Yeah, actually, um, yeah. It is one of those, it is one of those scenes where you're, you're like, there's only one page left in the book. He's not going to be able to wrap this up because they're in the middle of this scene. And you turn the page, and in four lines, he wraps up the book. And you just sit there and stare at it, and you're like, oh, hell. Yeah, like, <laughs> I, I seriously, like, I know that we just both mentioned, like, two of his books, but I think more than any other writer alive today, I think I just admire and respect him more than anyone. He is, um, I, I, I really, I, place great importance on endings i was thinking recently that without preparing or studying i could probably quote the last line of all of my novels because that almost more than anything else in the novel i work at and rework and rework and rework over and over again because it has to be pitch perfect because it is the last thing the reader listens to and i've rewritten the last line of shadow of the father like eight times yeah you've shown it to me in many revisions actually um and another one that I want to bring up is Watership Down, which is one that um, that's a, that, that is a lovely one too. You you have to know the first line to appreciate the last line. Um, the first line of the book is the primroses were over, and the last line is the partial sentence is um, down the slope of the hill where the primroses were just beginning to bloom, and that. Yeah, I mean, Man, I, I, just, if we if we need to crap. pimp out Watership Down to furries, you'd be surprised. Yeah, I actually didn't read the whole thing until surprisingly late in life, but and it, I didn't appreciate the ending the first time I read it. But no, yeah, man, when you read that beginning and yeah, it, and it, it is a great book. It's it's fabulous. Um, trying to think, yeah, the two the two David Mitchell ones. Um, again, Black Swan Green is probably the only one he's written that's actually. Com- a single complete story um, that might be the most accessible of his books. It's the, certainly the most normal. Yeah, uh, which, which does which is not an indictment about it being mundane. It's it, it's still a wonderful book. 
And uh, Cloud Atlas is, I remember it being tough to get into. The first few pages are just, talk about starting abruptly. Yeah. It sort of throws you right in. But yeah. that, yeah. It's I, so worth the effort, though. That book is just amazing. Um, trying to think of other ending lines. Weirdly, weirdly enough, um, fantasy series, The Riddle Master of Head, The Riddle Master Trilogy by Patricia McKillop. Um, and the last book ends with the line, um, Peace, unexpected, out of nowhere, sent a taproot into Morgan's heart. And the first time I read that, I thought, what a cop-out ending. And every time I read it after that, it got better and better. And it stuck with me. I mean, it's it, I can quote it from memory. That's how, um, that's how much it stayed with me. That's a great ending. Yeah, I'm seeing... I'm- trying to I'm really bad at quoting things verbatim I'm trying to think of uh, anything comes to mind I've sort of already anybody anybody out there have a favorite ending line anyone and then that sort of stuck with you nobody okay (laughs) I'm just thinking (gasps) of uh, Zia Zia the Corgi has one Uh, okay which is Zia Mick Corgi which is son of Corgi well, I was just saying Zia the Corgi, which is also accurate. I just wasn't quoting his full son, name. Son of Adam, daughter of Eve, that sort of thing. <laughs> uh, there is actually one ending that will always stick with me. The ending to the story, uh, to the nonfiction book, River at the Center of the World. This was an ending that literally made me toss the book across the room. I loved the, bo- I loved the entire book until the last page. And that, that last page ruined the entire book, not only for me, but for everyone else in my family who's ever read this book. It is the death of this entire book. It comes in this, just the last sentence, essentially. It's the antithesis of what you're talking about, but it really does stick with me. Anyway, I'll... Sorry. Are you going to share it with us, or can you not share it without I spoiling? can't share it without spoiling the book, and I can't share it without ruining the book. All right. You see the problem. Fair enough. We yeah. said we wouldn't do that with the Although, David Mitchell yeah. ones either. So. Speaking of which, I did finally think of another final line that is both amazing and that I can quote verbatim, but I won't because it ruins the whole book. 1984. Has a um, great last line. I don't remember that one, actually, offhand. I can, it, it, it's four words. I can tell you afterwards. All right. And we'll, we can... Tell the David Mitchell ones if people want to hear them after this. I just don't want to read them on the podcast. Yeah. And um, for you, those of you listening, if you like our stuff, David Mitchell is wildly more talented than the two of us combined. Yeah, seriously. If you if you love characters and character voice, um, holy crap. There's there's <laughs> no there's no dog people fucking, but that's not what you should be reading anyway. Well, there is there, there is right in the middle of Cloud Atlas. Oh god, there is, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And with that, I just got giddy clapping paws all throughout this this room. That was actually great. <laughs> thank you, audience, and and thank you, audience, for being here and sticking with us for the whole podcast. We love you all for listening. Yay! And uh, and we are going to wrap up what I think was a very successful fall furry meet. Yeah, thank and great in a great podcast. Thank you for coming to FFM with us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and. Good night. Good night. I've been Cam Hirasaki. And I've been Kyle Gold.